0: Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to and not in place of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Morning. Morning, Springs Church. Good to see everybody out for the 11 o'clock service together. Everyone feel a little bit more refreshed this morning after getting an hour extra of sleep? Man, that was a godsend right when I needed it after dealing with three little kids, so it was a joy to get that for sure. I'm going to jump right into the Word. Um, I'm going to share a message the Lord put on my heart. Christ, wisdom from God. Christ, wisdom from God. And I'll explain a little bit of what that is in just a moment. I was getting the word together this week and I was studying through Revelations chapter 21 and 22. And I had the word pretty much all together almost by Wednesday. I had a good portion of it together and I was so excited. I said, oh man, I'm ahead of things and I got everything nailed out. And as I got to Wednesday, I was spending some time in prayer, and the Lord began to put some impressions on my heart. It was almost like a burden that I couldn't shake. And I kind of said to the Lord, Lord, if you you want an audible, if you want to change something this Sunday, um, number one, I'm okay with that, but number two, I need you to kind of confirm it for me. And I went and I listened to a message. Somebody had sent me a message from Pastor David Wilkerson from the the mid-90s, and it was called The Dethroning of God in America. And I went and I listened to the message and almost pervade him comparatively what God was kind of downloading in my own heart he was sharing on. So I felt like it was God's way of saying, no, th- this is a-, a season, this is a very specific message to a season that I want you to bring to the house. So I want you to know I prayed, I've sought God, I- I've-, I've done my best to put the notes together, uh, but I believe it's what God has for us today and not just for today, Really, I believe it's a message to finish out the rest of the year and where God wants us to begin in 2024. Um, so with that, I'm just gonna pray. I received a prayer request as I was heading up the stage for a young boy who's six years old. Uh, he's in the Children's Hospital right now with an infection in his lungs. He's been there 11 days, unable to get up, and they can't seem to solve what it is. So would you do me a favor? I know we've been praying for the persecuted church. Could we stand together? Can we lift up this six-year-old little boy Lift up the word, and then we'll jump in together, amen? Well, Father, we know that you are a healing God. And Lord, this boy, I, I believe his name is Owen. I, I'm, I'm sorry, God, I, I got a few things rattling around in my mind, but you know him. You know his, where he is, you know his name, you, you know what he's going through. But God, we take a moment as a church And we cry out, God, that you would bring a touch over his body, Lord God. The antibiotics aren't doing it. The doctors don't know what to do. But I thank you, God, that you are above doctors. You are above even medication, Lord Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And you rule over everything. So God, we ask that you would bring a touch over this boy in the children's hospital just down the street. We ask that by your spirit, God, you would begin to heal whatever's going on in his lungs. I ask in your mercy you would give strength to his body, Lord, that you would even begin to touch him this afternoon, Lord God, and there come a strengthening inside of him through the grace of your spirit. And I pray that you would turn it around as a testimony, Lord God. We'd hear back the testimonies of this house, and these testimonies would begin to bring glory and praise and worship to your name, Lord God. All throughout the city, and throughout families and throughout those that come in contact with this young boy. God, we pray that you would turn around this whole situation for your glory. And Lord, we lift up the word now, God, and I pray, God, for your grace. Lord, I put together what I believe on my heart is from you, and I just ask that, God, you would communicate it through a work of your spirit today that you would speak to every heart, you'd put your finger on areas that you want to put your finger on, you begin to draw, Lord God, and cause responses in areas that you want to cause responses, Lord. But your word would go out, Lord God, and as your scriptures testify to the truth of your word, it would never return void. So God, we commit it to you now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to begin in Revelations chapter 18, and I'm going to jump around a little bit in the chapter to try to shore up uh, a little bit of the text. So I'm going to go through verses 1 through 3, then verses 9 through 10, and then I'm going to skip to 16, 17, and then over to 19, just to give us the context of what's happening through the chapter. But let's begin in verse 1. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries." Verse 9, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. Verse 16, it says, and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, Dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Verse 19 They will throw dust on their heads, and with weeping and mourning, they will cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Now this passage of Scripture could begin a a year-long sermon series on where or who is Babylon the Great. And as much as I would like to get into that this morning, the thing I want all of us to zero in on is the fact that God actually warns in this text that the whole earth, the whole world, is going to change in one hour. How many of you know when the Bible repeats something, you should pay attention to it? especially in one chapter when it says the same thing three times. There is going to be an economic and a geopolitical catastrophe that is going to cause world governments and world leaders to be humiliated and terrified. And because it's going to happen so quickly, people and nations are not going to be prepared for it and they are going to be caught off guard. This is a very serious warning that we Christians have to pay attention to, especially in the times that we are living in today. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He said there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. He said that there will be earthquakes in various places. He said that there will be food shortages. He said that there will be a persecution that will sweep across the whole world against the church in the last days. But he referred to all of these things as birth pains, which means they will grow in intensity and frequency until Christ finally returns. Yes, there might be a reprieve here and there. You might get a few years and everything. Okay, this is all right and things are going well. But they're always going to be growing. They're always going to be coming back. And the intensity and the frequency is going to continue moving forward until Jesus finally appears. Things are not going to get better. In fact, they're going to become more challenging. I remember a few years ago, before COVID, uh, we were doing three days of fasting and prayer here at the church. And I got done with the three days of fasting and prayer. Normally, when I'm done with three days of fasting and prayer, as soon as I say the amen, McDonald's is waiting. And I run, right, honey? And I get myself cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets and McDonald's fries and I eat. I eat. And people say, Well, don't you feel sick after? No, I feel great after. I eat it and I sleep like a baby. But I remember I was finishing these three days of fasting and prayer with the church and I got done. And on my ride home, I didn't feel like stopping at McDonald's. And I went all the way home and there was just this nagging in my heart. There was something, it wasn't an anxiousness, but it was something that was almost holding me back. And I went to Beth. And I said, I know this sounds strange, because this is not like me, because we just finished the fast, but I don't think God has released me yet to stop praying and fasting. And she said, well, what does that mean? And I said, I don't know. I, would you be open? I said this, could, could I go to the, I can't believe it came out of my mouth. I said, can I go to the mountains for another three days to go fast and pray? And my wife said, yeah, go. And, and I talked to the elders about it, said, yeah, you go. And, and the way I go to the mountains is I call Howard Johnson and I make a reservation So I go up to Buena Vista, and people say, I know trails, and I know where areas that you could hike, and I know cabins you could stay in. And I say, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving Howard Johnson. I'm fine. That's where I will stay for the next three days. I will pray, I will fast, I will seek God. And as I was sitting there and I was reading, I was going through the book of Exodus and I was praying, I felt like the Lord began to put something in my heart that I started journaling all through my Bible. I started journaling and it came up over and over again. And it was this thought, it was, it was this thing, it was this impression that I was to prepare a wilderness church. I felt like God say, I want you to prepare a wilderness church. Now what is a wilderness church? A wilderness church is where the provision and the leading of God is not seen to the, the plain sight anymore. See, in Egypt, you had all the pots, you had the meat, you had, you had the leeks, you had you knew where your provision, you, you knew where everything was coming next. But when you're in a wilderness, you don't know. And you have to follow God so closely because he's in the cloud, he's in the pillar of fire, and he's leading. And you're following him. You're not following with what's in your front of your eyes. You're, you're following the direction of the Lord to go left or to wait or to move right or to stay where you're at or to be in a place where this is where God's provision is going to be found or, or now it's going to change. Something is going to shift and it's over here. It's constantly shifting. It's constantly changing as we're walking together through the journey, through the season of the wilderness. Now, what does this all mean for the church? What does it mean for us? It means that we need to get ourselves ready And prepared for what is ahead. If there is going to be more financial and geopolitical catastrophes. While governments and world systems actually fail in one hour without any preparation. That means that we're going to need a source of wisdom. We're going to need a source of strength. We're going to need a source of grace. We're going to need a source of will that is not part of this world. To be able to endure it, and not just to endure it, but actually overcome. In fact, look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 30 says. And I want you to see this. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Now listen to me. We are about to go into a season where God's about to shame the wise. He's going to shame the wisdom of this world. And he wants to use his people, the foolish things that everybody has discounted. This idea of religion. This idea of the Bible. This is foolish in the eyes of man. He wants to use this to show something through our lives that begins to reflect the very wisdom of God. In fact, let's move on. It says this. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now verse 30, this is important. Watch this. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, I want you to pay attention to what verse 30 says, because in this verse, it is telling us that Jesus is not only the wisdom of God, but Jesus became wisdom to us from God. Now, that is an extremely important difference. Jesus is not only the wisdom of God, but Jesus was made, not by creation, but by appointment, wisdom to us from God. Now, let that sink in just for a moment. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me put what I wrote in my journal up on the screen. It means that God's wisdom, this is important, his leading and his grace doesn't just come from learning about the teachings and examples of Jesus, ready for this? But by knowing him, by seeking him, and being in constant communion with him. God's wisdom is not given to us just from the teachings of Jesus or just from church or just from a pastor. No, no, no. It comes from the person of Christ. It comes from a place of intimacy and communion with the person of Christ that the wisdom, the grace, the strength, the leading comes to us from God. Colossians 1, 1 through 3 says this. Watch this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the richness of the full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ. Listen to this prayer. Listen to what Paul is saying. He said, I'm believing God to knit you together in love. I'm believing God to fill you with all riches of assurance. I believe God to give you an understanding, a spirit of revelation, so that you're not just wandering in a place of confusion in this life, but you know who God is. You know the callings and the things that he's called you to. And you have the will, the desire, and the grace to actually finish the journey that God has asked you to do. He says, I'm believing you for all these things. Now, Paul, how do they come into our lives? How do we begin to walk in them? How do they begin to manifest? Look what he says in verse 3. He says, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is all wisdom? Where is all knowledge? Where is all power? Where is all authority? Where is all grace? Where is all strength? It is hidden in the person of Christ. listen to what the great Puritan John Owen wrote. I'll put it up on the screen. This is the last thing, and then we'll start breaking all these things together and applying them to our lives. But he says this. He says, there are two things that might seem to have a claim and title when it comes to wisdom. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying there are two things in the world that people think will lead them in this life and give them the direction that they're looking for. There's two things in this world that people think is wisdom that gives them understanding and strength. Two things that they think they could find grace in. And he says, This, here are the two things. Number one, are you ready? Watch this. He says, Number one, civil wisdom and prudence for the management of affairs. He says, There's a wisdom out there. People think it's a wisdom. And it's just information, it's just knowledge of how to manage things, how to manage your life, how to manage your family, how to manage diets, and and, and listen, I'm not putting those things down, But, but they're not true wisdom from God. Christ is the true wisdom from God. All those things might be helps, but without Christ, you have not yet tapped into the full wisdom that God wants to put into your life. He goes on, he says, number two is the ability of learning in literature. Oh, we live in a day and age. There is a podcast for everything. I have found podcasts on how to get the last bit of toothpaste out of my toothpaste tube. Right? I have found podcasts of every life hack trick you could possibly imagine. There was a day, I used to work on motorcycles, still do. I, I don't do it as much now. But there was a day that if I got stuck working on an old Harley Davidson, I had to go find one of those crazy guys from like the Hell's Angels or the Satan Slaves, like motorcycle club, because those are the only ones who knew how to work on these things. And you had to go up to these guys and say, listen, I'm a Christian, but would you do me a favor? Don't sacrifice me to Satan today because you're a, they're crazy. They're nuts. These people are just pagans. I'd have to go to them, literally, I know clubs called the Satan Slaves, I know clubs called the Sinners, I know clubs, clubs of guys that I would have to go to, explain that I was a Christian, hope that they didn't kill me, and then try to get the information that I need to fix the brake on the back of my Harley so I didn't die. Today, I could go on YouTube, Right? And you find out there's like normal people out there that aren't in motorcycle games, that aren't doing these types of things, that work on these types of stuff. We have a podcast for everything. Every opinion, every way to debate, every bit of information. But look what he says. He says, number two is the ability of learning and literature. But God, watch this, rejects both of these as no use at all to the end and intent of true wisdom indeed. There's in the world that which is called understanding, but it comes to nothing. There is that which is called wisdom, but is turned into folly. God brings to nothing the understanding of the prudent, and he makes foolish the wisdom of the world. See, the problem with the church is we've embraced the wisdom of the world, and we're wondering why it doesn't work. Why is this not giving me the marriage I thought I was supposed to have? Why is this not giving me the success that I was supposed to have? Why is it not giving me the direction and the leading that I was? See, we embrace the things of the world, the wisdom of the world. And you know what God says? No, no, you don't understand. I'm shaking everything. There's birth pains that are coming. I'm going to turn all of that into nothing but foolishness. Because true wisdom, real wisdom, is found in a person and a person alone. It's in Christ. says, till you're connected to that, you don't have it. Until you're connected to that, you're wondering why you're putting all the principles together, but they're not working. Because your direction you're leading can only come from a place of communion with the Spirit of God, with Christ himself. See, some of you, including myself, you're having a hard time dealing with all of the pressures that we're actually feeling and all the impossible situations that are coming into our lives because everything in our society and all our trusted institutions are falling apart. And we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't have the mental or emotional bandwidth to be able to face the challenges that are going on in our family as well as in our own hearts. We don't know what our next step should actually be. There's a place of just confusion. And I'm telling you, as we go further and further into this and the birth gains get stronger before Christ actually returns, it's going to get worse. The confusion is going to become even greater because as soon as we think that we finally have a foundation that we're able to stand on and we got it all figured out, suddenly everything in the world and in our society begins to shift and it begins to change. And we say, wait a second, what I was doing here isn't working over here. How I raised my kids 30 years ago is not how I'm going to raise my kids or my grandkids now because they're not dealing with what we're dealing with on the media or on the internet or on the TV. There are new there are new struggles it's shifting and it's not going to stop we don't know how to move forward and everything looks impossible and there's no more human wisdom or help that is left you ever gotten to a place that you exhausted every resource you ever been there I've done 30 sessions of counseling. Hasn't helped, right? I, I, I went to everything that I was supposed to go. I've read every book. I read every book, I went through everything. And yet I'm not able to implement, it's not working. Someone told me I would read this book and suddenly everything would be fine. Someone told me I could do, and now I don't have anything against counseling. I think counseling has a place. But let me tell you something, if you're not connected to the person of Christ, all that counseling ain't gonna do nothing because the wisdom that comes from the counseling has to be through the person of Christ. It'll come through the conduit of the counseling, but it only comes when you're intimate and in a place of communion with him. Otherwise, it just spins your wheels. See, we are going into a season where the only wisdom and grace that's actually gonna get us through is knowing the person of Jesus, not his teachings, not as followers, But Him. You have to know Him. You have to commune with Him. You have to know to be intimate with Him. He is all wisdom, all wisdom given to us from God. He is all strength, He is all grace. In fact, let me show you what God opened up to me this last week. I've read this passage a million times, never saw it. I've I've heard preaching on it, but I never saw it the way God showed it to me. Exodus 33, and I'll jump around in this passage as well. I'll go 12 to 13 and then over to 17 and then 20 just to, to shorten it up a little bit. But I want you to see this through the life of Moses. Verse 12 says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. Notice there's two pleases in this chapter. Do you know what that shows you? And we'll get into this in a second. This is a desperate cry for Moses. Please show me your ways. Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you should stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now Moses was struggling with a lot of uncertainty in this chapter, in Exodus chapter 33. He was already exhausted from leading all the Israelites up out of Egypt and then through the desert. He was being led by God into one impossible situation after another. And there was no end to it. I mean, think about this. Moses literally had to find water in a desert for three million people. You think you're having a hard time finding the resources that you need that don't seem to be there? He was in a desert. I mean, there was no chance of being able to find the water that he needed for three million. Not two or three that were going to die. A vast number that you probably couldn't see the end of from one side to the other. This this is what he was dealing with. He had to sit there and trust God to be able to provide the food to be able to feed all these people. He was following God's direction all the way to the Red Sea after he finally got out of Egypt. After going through that intense spiritual battle between him and Pharaoh... Where literally God kept on sending him back and he kept going back and he kept being turned down and going back and all the Israelites getting upset and they're yelling at him and they're ripping him apart and he knows he's got a word from God but nobody's going to believe him. So he's standing and he's going back and he's going back and he finally gets out. He finally says, look at what God's done. See, I told you I heard the voice of God. I told you, I told you. And God leads him to the edge of the Red Sea where he puts him in a kill box and he brings all the Egyptians. And now... Now Moses has to fight with the fear of his own heart and all the grumbling of the Israelites that say we are going to die because of this army of Pharaoh. And then Moses, working through all that, had to muster inside of him the faith and the strength to go down and stand at the side of that sea and to believe all night long that God was going to make a way through it. Moses had a battle in his mind with all the enormous challenges that he knew. He knew that they were gonna face on their journey into the promised land. He had a cloud of impossibility, a cloud of unbelief that consumed everything around him. It was so serious and so overwhelming that he got to a point where he even wanted to die. He said, I'd rather die than carry this burden anymore. And on top of all of that, everyone, and I mean everyone, was mad at him, including his own family. Everybody was rejecting him. They didn't want anything to do with him. And then at the same time, everyone had a problem that they wanted him to fix. Right? I want nothing to do with you, but could you fix this? Could you imagine? I want to fall down sometimes after leading a church of a thousand people. Moses is dealing with the marital issues. He's dealing with the disobedient children. He's dealing with the tragedies. He's dealing with the people fighting for three million people. He had to live in a place of impossibility with no reprieve for 40 years. 40 years. And then here in Exodus 33, God says to him, I'm not gonna go with you. Now, I could just imagine that Moses' heart had to break when he heard that. That had to be the final straw that shattered the camel's back. How many of you have been in a situation that was so tough mentally, physically, or emotionally? And just to get by, just to try to get through every day, you just scrounged enough of God's grace and God's strength to be able to do it. And then what happens? And you know this. I know this when you're in these seasons. Then the phone rings. Always. Always. And what is it? It's that one last thing, right? It is that one last bit of bad news and it just breaks you. I mean, it shatters you you actually say, I can't handle this anymore. Something in your spirit begins to die. You ever feel that before? Where literally it's like, I know that I'm supposed to continue on and all these responsibilities. And sometimes you do, but in your heart, it is broken. It is so broken inside of you that you just go through the motions. You feel so dead because of the pressures that you have had endure for so long. They have been on you. They have been over you. They have been destroying you. And this information, this last bit, this this thing that you just couldn't carry anymore, it just shatters. It breaks something in your heart. That is exactly where Moses was at in Exodus chapter 33. He was a tired man. And then this last bit, God says, I'm not going to be going with you. And something in him had to break. Something in him had to finally snap. And look at what Moses says. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, he says this. He says, now therefore, he says, God, I heard, I heard the bad news. <laughs> I got the phone call. Okay, yeah, all right. But now, listen to me. If I have found favor in your sight. Now listen to the heart cry. Listen to the cry. Please, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Do you realize what Moses is saying? Moses is saying God will you show me who you are in other words Moses is saying God there is something that is hidden inside of you that I need that I can't get anywhere else that is the only thing that could give me the strength and the grace to be able to continue on the journey that you have called me to do he says I can't get it anywhere else if you don't go with us there's no shot here I need you to show me something. There's something hidden inside of you. There is a wisdom hidden in you. There is a power hidden in you. There is a strength hidden in you. There is a revelation. There is an assurance. There is something that is hidden in you that I need. I have to have it or I can't go forward to be able to complete the mission that you have set me on. And what did God say? What was his response? He comes back in Exodus 33 and look at it from 19, verse 19 to 23, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name. God says, okay, I'm gonna let all my goodness, all my power, all my strength, all my grace, all my love, all my assurance, all my wisdom, it's gonna pass before you, Moses. I'm gonna bring it and it's gonna do something inside of you. I'm gonna proclaim my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Then verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God is saying to Moses, watch this. Moses, if you want my wisdom, if you want the faith and the strength, you need to be able to walk through this, and not just walk through this, not just to walk through this, but to have such confidence in God that when everything around you looks like it's falling apart because you still got a journey in this wilderness where you don't see anything of provision, where you have to trust me for all that, you are able to stand And not only are you able to stand, but to have a will and a desire to continue standing and moving forward that is totally independent of you, but is put in you by me. He says, if you want that, Moses, you want to walk in that, you want to live in that, then you need to go and you need to hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. He says, because when you're in the cleft of the rock, listen to this, my glory, who I am will then pass by. He says, you can't see me, Moses. You can't experience this type of wisdom, Moses. You can't get this type of leading a direction, Moses. You can't find this type of grace and strength, Moses, unless you're in the cleft of the rock. But you get into that cleft of the rock, and all that I am, the glory of who I am, will pass by, Moses. Who is the cleft of the rock? According to the Bible, it's Christ. Do you see it? God is showing us, He is revealing it to us, that it is through intimacy, it is through communion with Jesus, with the very person of God, where wisdom and the grace that we need will be found. This type of wisdom and grace, listen to me, cannot be found in counseling alone. It can't. This type of wisdom and grace that you need to lead you, to direct you, to to give you the strength that you need, to give you the grace, to give you the hope so you don't give up, to stand in the gap for a prodigal when everything around you is falling apart and you just don't have the strength to continue going on. He says that will only come when you're in the cleft, when you're in communion, when you're in intimacy with Jesus, with the person of Christ, not the teachings of Christ, not the church, not just the pastor, but with Jesus himself. You can't get that wisdom. You can't get that direction. You can't get that breakthrough just through our court systems and lawyers and judges. We think they're going to figure it all out. They're going to make everything better. You can't get it through business seminars. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong. You heard my heart. I believe in counseling. I believe there's a place for it. But the counseling is just a conduit to the wisdom. It is not the wisdom itself. The wisdom is Christ. Now God might choose through his providence to show himself in his wisdom through the counseling. But if you're not hid in the cleft of the rock, you'll sit there all day. And you'll feel like you're getting information, but you're not getting wisdom. You're not getting direction. You're not getting the leading that you're actually looking for. You're not changing the way that you're supposed to. I read more books than most of you. I've read every book about church leadership. I've read books, podcasts, and went through things. Number one, I'm not smart enough to figure any of that stuff out. But number two, none of it will make a dent. None of it will make any difference if I don't hide in the cleft of the rock. I could read it all day long, but if I have no intimacy with Christ, if I'm not on the floor seeking my my face down, seeking his face, If I'm not in a place of prayer, if I'm not in a place of worshiping him, if I'm not in a place of literally pouring over the scriptures just to know him, all of that will not make a dent. Or get this, all of that might make a dent, but it really wasn't God who did it, and it all gets blown away as chaff in the final day when I sit before him in the judgment seats. The only thing that will ever stand is what comes out of that place of intimacy with him. I was listening, like I said earlier, to a sermon from Pastor David Wilkerson, and someone showed it to me, or I forgot where I got it from. It was in the mid-90s. The sermon was entitled, The Dethroning of God in America. And in the sermon, Pastor David shares that we have not only, as Americans, dethroned God in our classrooms, in our schools, and in our government, but we have dethroned him in our churches. No one seeks after God in church anymore, not even pastors. We have surveys now. What would you like in a church? We send it out, we find out what everybody wants in a church. So now we got surveys. Like I said, we got books, we got all these things. But no one ever asked the question what does God want in his church? What does he desire? No one wants to put the hours to bury themselves in a place of prayer to seek after that. Nobody wants to wait on the Lord. Nobody wants to commune with the Holy Spirit. It's just a quick fix. In fact, I've shared this before. There are certain church planning organizations. I've met with some of the pastors who literally give me charts... Say, we'll tell you how many people will be there on the first day according to the population and the density of where you're planting the church and, and according to your, your media, how you get it out there. We'll, we'll tell you how many will be there. We'll tell you how many will be in three months' time. We'll tell you how many could be there in six months. And you know what's amazing is the pastors that have actually done it has said to me they get it down to literally down to an error of like 10 people. That's how, that's how accurate it is. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you don't understand. There's a day is coming ahead where God's going to make foolishness of that. That's not gonna stand. There's a wilderness that's ahead where where you've learned those tricks. If you haven't learned how to bury yourself in the presence of God, you haven't learned to be in a place of prayer, you haven't learned to wait on the Holy Spirit, you haven't learned how to commune with him, let me tell you something, we're going into something that you're not gonna be able to figure out. You're not gonna be able to work it out with the intellect. You need the pillar of fire. You need the cloud. You need it to direct you. You need it to show you in the next step. You need it to just wait when he says don't move and have the strength, the weight of what he's calling you to actually do. We have an epidemic of pornography and sexual immorality in the church. No one knows what to do. So we hire psychologists and we bring them in. What's your professional opinion? They don't even know the Lord. How the brain waves work? How does all this Tell us, tell us. And we'll try to solve it with psychology. We'll try to solve it with professionalism. You know what's amazing to me? I've never once met a young man or a young woman who said, Pastor Michael, I pray for one hour a day, I read my word an hour a day, I commune with the Lord, and I still can't stop looking at pornography. I have never heard that from anybody, ever. Why? Because when you're hid in the cleft of the rock, there is a wisdom there, a leading and a direction and a strength that you can't get anywhere else. It has the ability to break down things that you'll never be able to break down it is the ability to set you free in ways that you'll never be set free any other way there is something in the cleft of that rock there is something in a communion and intimacy i'm not saying it happens right away but you stay in that place you stay in that area what the lord is and who he is will pass by and it begins to develop something in you that's what 1 corinthians that's what paul was saying he was made wisdom he became the wisdom of god to us he is the continent of the wisdom he is it The problems we're struggling with in our marriages, in our singleness, in our minds, in our family, 90% of the time, to be honest, is because we abandon our prayer life with God. We don't seek Him the way we used to. We, We fell into the trap of YouTube and social media that has pulled us away from the cleft of the rock. When I got saved, I just had an insatiable hunger for God, I just did. And God worked that into me, and I'll tell you how he worked it into me. He let me go to the depths of sin. He, he allowed me to taste just what sin produces. My mom prayed for me for years and there was no real breakthrough, and I kept getting worse and worse and worse. I was in mental institutions. I was suicidal. I I, I, I literally, I I was a mess. But when God broke through, because he allowed me to walk through that for such a season and such a time, my heart just had an insatiable hunger. To experience that type of peace in the presence of God, I just wanted it And when I was living in New York City, I was a young adult and I didn't have a lot of responsibility. I had school and work and a few other things. But I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have an hour of prayer with the Lord before i go to bed at night because I'd be up to like one or two in the morning. I'd go and I'd seek God for about two hours. I'd be in the word and then I'd be in a place of prayer. There was days on the weekends I didn't have any friends because God pulled me out of it. I'd spend four hours just in my apartment in prayer or in the word. And I just had this hunger, this unsatiable hunger. And as I was praying one day, I'm writing in my Bible, and God puts this impression on my heart, and, and I knew it was Him, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak so clearly to me and just say, "Michael, I am the answer to every problem and every, deli- every dilemma and every question. I am the answer to all of it. Anything going on in your life or going on in other people's lives? I am the answer to it." And I felt like the Lord speaks so clearly to me. All I want you to do for the rest of your life is just point to me. Tell people, I know a place. I know a place where your heart could be healed. I know a place where you could find deliverance. I know a place where you could find the strength. I know a place where you could find the peace. I know a place where you can find the will and the desire to keep going when everything around you is sucking you dry. I know a place. It's him. It's him. Well, what do I do, Pastor Michael? I don't even know how to have a prayer time with God. I don't don't even know what you do in prayer, right? I don't know how to practice that type of communion with the person of Jesus. I see you do it, and that's fine. I see other people do it, and that's fine, but but I get alone with God, and and I find it so difficult. See, if you want to become a man or a woman of prayer, listen to me then you have to create a prayer language with God. That's how you do it. That's the key. No one prays or spends quality time with God. You wanna know why? Because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to speak to him. They don't know how to engage with him. And unless you actually create a prayer language in your walk with God, you will never spend time with him. So how do we do that? How do we create a prayer language? What does that look like? To be able to foster that type of communion with Jesus? Well, there's four things that I've implemented in my life with God that has done it, and I'm gonna give them to you now. Number one, if you wanna really have a prayer language, you wanna learn how to really commune with the Lord, you have to learn how to practice thanksgiving and gratitude. You have to learn to go, go into the presence of God, and you begin just giving thanks to God. You begin to tell him and talk to him about all the things that he's done in your past, in your presence, the promises that he's given you even for your future. You begin to go to him and say, God, thank you for getting me through last week. God, thank you for getting me through that meeting at my job that I didn't think I was even gonna be able to get through. God, thank you. Thank you that today's another day that I desire to serve you. Today's another day that I even wanna be in church. You begin to give him thanksgiving. You begin to give him gratitude. Why? Because thanksgiving and gratitude begins to remind our hearts of God's faithfulness and it begins to build up inside of us our faith. And Hebrews, actually Romans chapter 11, verse six says this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Romans says that faith naturally causes us to come to a place of communion and intimacy with God. If you have a problem with intimacy, you need to build up your faith. And if you want to build up your faith, you have to learn to give thanksgiving and gratitude to God. It's how it works. There are times I'll go to prayer for the first half an hour. I don't even give a petition. I don't even pray a thing. I just thank him. I just get on my knees and say, God, thank you for my daughter. I never thought I'd have a daughter. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my wife. God, I never thought I'd even have a place where I'd be putting my head down on a pillow at night. You gave it to me. You blessed me. God, thank you for the next breath that you put into my lungs. God, thank you. Thank you. You have to begin to practice thanksgiving. You have to begin to practice gratitude with Lord. Number two, when you go into the presence of God and you're giving thanksgiving and gratitude, the Holy Spirit will be so faithful with your own conscience to point things out, to point out sin and attitudes and areas of the heart that are holding your faith back from being stirred up. Sin hardens the heart. So as I'm worshiping God, as I'm thanking him, as I'm giving him gratitude, as the Holy Spirit begins to bring things out of my heart and remind me of things that I said to my wife or my children or other people at the church that I need to ask for forgiveness about, I begin to confess those things. I begin to bring them to God. I tell him what they are. I humble myself. I repent of them. So they, they, they have no effect inside of my heart anymore. So God can heal my heart so my faith could be strong. And my desire for communion and intimacy will grow. Number three, after I get done with just thanksgiving and gratitude, after I deal with whatever my conscience or the spirit brings up, number three, I write down three, four, five petitions in my Bible that I'm praying for, for God to do and to break through in my life or in different ministries around the world. I pray for things in my family. I pray for my children. I go on and I pray, just like we heard today, of things going on in Afghanistan. And I begin to lift up Christians that are persecuted. And I go on and I pray for things in my own life. Patience and strength. I pray for these things. I I put down four or five petitions to cast all my cares on God. And then what do I do? Lastly, I have a few scriptures, promises in the word and prayers in the word that I pray through with the Lord. See, some of you, you don't realize that this whole book is filled with prayers. And this book has the language that you need to express the things that are going on in your heart that you don't know how to express to God. That's why Psalms is such a powerful book. Psalms, you'll be able to find a prayer in Psalms for anything that you're going through. And you begin to take those prayers and you begin to take those promises and you begin to pray them back in a place of intimacy and dependency and communion with God. Psalm 18 is one of my psalms. My goodness, I start right at the very beginning. What do I do? I say, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my deliverance. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. I go, God, I'm here to take refuge in you. I'm here to take refuge. You're my rock. My job is not my rock. Everything looks absolutely a mess there. It's not my rock. My church alone, apart from you, is not my rock. You are my rock. You're my rock, God. So I'm coming to you in prayer. I'm coming according to the language of, of, of literally Psalm 18. And I'm confessing you to be my rock right now. I'll go on. He says, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I have been saved from my enemies. I say, God, I'm here to call on you. I'm here to call on you because there's enemies. There's selfishness inside of my own heart I can't win against. There's bitterness inside of me that I can't win against. So I'm here to call on you. I'm here to say they're too strong for me. But like Psalm 18, I'm coming before your throne and I'm saying, God, come and fight against my enemies. Set me free even from myself. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. Oh God, I feel like everything in me is dying. If I continue down this road, I feel like all my faith, all my desire, all my will is dying. The cords of death are around my neck. They're strangling me. Oh my God, my God, my God, my God. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to help through my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. I say, God, from your temple, hear me. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. Oh, God, I know you're coming. I know you hear me, but sometimes I can't see you. It's all dark clouds. I know you're up there. I see signs of the flashing of you trying to speak to me and work with me. But I can't see you, God. I can't see you, but you're there, God. You're there, God. Come down, God. I'll go on. He made darkness his covering his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advance, hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the most high resound. Oh God, let me hear your voice. Speak one thing to my heart, God. He shot his arrows, he scattered the enemies, great bolts of lightning routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, the foundations of the earth were laid bare. At your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he reached down from on high, he took hold of me, he drew me out of deep waters. Oh God, Draw me out. Draw me out of this depression. Draw me out of this wilderness that I feel in my spirit. Draw me out. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. From my foes who were too strong for me. God, they're too strong. They confronted me in the day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God, your word says that you delight in me because of the righteousness of Christ, rescue me. Do you see how the prayers of the word give language to the prayers of our hearts? Man, you spend time in thanksgiving, with God. You spend time in a place of confession. You spend time bringing petition. You spend time praying through the scriptures. I pray through Philippians 2.13. This is one of my life verses. I pray that for it is God who works in you, both built the will and to work for his good pleasure. God, work in me, both the will and the work. I, I go through Philippians 1.6. What does 1.6 say? It says, for his, for, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. There are days I feel like I'm going backwards in my Christian life, but the word of God says if he started something, he's gonna complete it. So I pray over it. I bring it to God. I say, God, do it in my life. man. You begin to create a prayer language and before you know it, you've been in communion with God over an hour a day. And there's times of listening and waiting that the Holy Spirit will teach you as you begin to commune with him. He'll show you just when to pause. He'll show you just when to listen. Your spirit, what will happen is when you start communion with God, your spirit will be at a place of rest where sometimes you'll just feel this rest come over you where you don't move to the left or the right, you just wait there. God wants to speak. This is how you foster communion. You create a prayer language. And if you begin to do that, church, if the church could get back to a place where they know how to really spend time with God, I'm telling you, no matter what's coming ahead, it will not phase you like the rest of the world. You'll be able to walk through it and you'll have the discernment and the wisdom and the leading to know how. Amen? Stand with me, Springs Church. Stand with me. Okay. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to let the worship, actually the worship team, we're just going to pray, and then I'll have the prayer team up here if you want any prayer today. But Father, we lift this up to you now, God, and I pray for this house. Father, you are trying to get our attention. You are saying there is a shaking. There are birth pains. There is a new dispensation that is coming. And I believe, God, even in five years, with everything in me, we will not recognize this country anymore. We think we don't recognize it now. We will not recognize it at all. I think there's going to be things that we have no idea about that you are leading, that you are allowing, that are part of these birth pains. But, God, I pray through it all, we need a wisdom now. We need a strength and a grace, and it can't be from this world. This world and just our ideas and our books and our podcasts will not be enough. I'm not against them. I thank God for them. But Lord, we come back and say, all wisdom is hidden in Christ. It's in you. And Lord, we are coming today and we are asking, would you foster communion, Holy Spirit? Would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to get on our faces before God and to wait in the presence of the Lord? Would you teach us how to bring thanksgiving and gratitude? Would you teach us how to pray through the scriptures? Would you begin to give us a prayer language to tarry in the presence of God? To tarry in the presence of God. Would you wake us up at night, God? Would you wake us up in the early hours of our day, God? Would you bring us into this place where we will find a strength, we will find a grace, we will find the healing that we are looking for everywhere else? God, I pray for that in this house. Holy Spirit, I pray that this would not be a word that goes in one ear and out the other, but it'd be something that you would convict and you would instill in us for the days ahead. So I commit this church to you now, God. I thank you for this house and for this congregation. Lord, grow us, I pray. Grow us. Grow me as a leader. Lord, there are decisions that I have to make for this church. And I got to be honest. There are some things that have come across my path and they look so good. And I'm thinking, well, I could just do this and this. And you have reminded me, don't you dare make a single decision until you've hidden your way in the cleft of the rock. Don't you dare. Don't you say yes to nothing until you have sought my face. Until you have taken the hours to pray. Taken the hours to cry out. The hours to wait on me. Lord, I am in that place now. And I pray that for my fellow believers in this house. So God, we commit it to you, and we bless you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give a Lord a round of applause this morning. Let's thank you for his goodness. Spring Church, as you head out and dismiss, the prayer team will be up here to pray for any needs you might be having this morning or even responses from the word. You say, man, I just want to pray for that type of intimacy and communion. Just ask the Holy Spirit to work that in me. Otherwise, the Voice of Martyrs actually has a table out in our front lobby with all the information of the persecuted church. Make sure you stop there and grab some information, some pamphlets, uh, some books that might help you learn how to pray for the persecuted church. Otherwise, this Wednesday, we have our members meeting. Come out to our members meeting. It'd be a blessing to see everyone out for that. This Thursday, we have our women's uh, Bible study that meets at 10 o'clock. Any woman who wants to get involved in a Bible study that happens here at the church. Tuesday's Tuesday's mom's group, Thursday's Bible study. If you're not a mom, make sure you're there Thursday. If you're a mom, make sure you're there Tuesday. Amen. Otherwise, guys, be blessed. Young adults, you'll be back here at 6.30 tonight. I love you guys. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next Sunday if I don't see you at the members meeting this Wednesday. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.